What is up, you guys, and welcome into the next episode of Entertainment Purposes Only. I'm your host, Ben Hardy, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about tonight. So, we're not going to waste any more time. We'll just get right into it. As always, we're brought to you by Arbitrage Racing. Follow them on Twitter, at Arbitrage Racing, no G on that Twitter handle. They gave us this green screen so we can display my beautiful logo. Go support them like they support us. Good guys over there at Arbitrage Racing, best stable in the digital horse racing game. But if you're watching this episode, you've probably seen previous episodes. You know that by now. I'm not telling you anything new. Just go do it. All right. So, we got a lot to talk about. Jam-packed week of college football just passed. And the coaching carousel has begun. News breaks Sunday morning before church. Jim or Texas A&M has come to a decision to fire Jimbo Fisher. By the time we got out of church, it was official. They had informed Jimbo Fisher, so he was out. He deserved it. I've made no secrets about how I feel about Jimbo Fisher. I feel he's the biggest underachiever out there right now. <clears throat> Does he even care that he just got fired from this job? I mean, you guys have seen the numbers by now. $77 million buyout, close to four times as big as the previous largest buyout, which was Gus Malzahn when he got fired from Auburn. I I don't know if he just wasn't very good or his heart wasn't in it anymore, but you know, I don't think anyone rational disagrees with this decision to go ahead and cut your losses with Jimbo Fisher and start moving on. So... Question now becomes who they're going to get, obviously. Now, this is a big job. This is, without a doubt, a top 10 job in the sport. It's debatable a top five job in the sport. That's taking everything into account. Uh, The money they can pay you in this day and age, the money that they can give toward NIL, the conference setup, how much you can win there. Everything taken into account. Geography, obviously, goes hand in hand with the recruiting. Top 10 job, no doubt about it. Debatable top five job. That fifth spot sort of up in the air. I might be forgetting an obvious one, so let me know in the comments if I am. But top four in no particular order. Just I think this is the clear Mount Rushmore of best jobs. LSU, USC, Georgia, Ohio State. A&M could be top five there. They could take that fifth spot. I don't know. There's Needless to say, this is a big job. This job is a big deal. This is a huge decision for who they get to replace Jimbo Fisher. I mean, they're paying that guy that kind of money to go seven and five. It's just not good enough. And he had the players, too, is the thing. It was just his own stubbornness, his own offense was what was getting in the way there. So, we're going to go through a list of candidates that I have put together and see where we land at the end of it. Now, I've put these candidates into five different categories. We've got big fish. We've got under the radar. We've got group of five head coaches. We've got power five coordinators. And we've got wild card. So, we're going to go through all these categories, all these candidates. See where we land at the end. I don't even know yet. I'm going to talk through them all for the first time here. See what I like at the end. 
All right, big fish. First candidate, as far as I'm concerned, Connor Stallions. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, guys. Relax. It's a joke. We like to have fun here. Okay, but seriously, big fish. One of the top candidates on the board, Lane Kiffin. I think he would do very well there. Now, the question becomes, does he recruit hard enough? Because I just spent all those resources they got at A&M. They want guys bringing in steady top five classes. Kiffin is a football coach. He's a scheme guy. He told you after the Georgia game the other night that the reason they couldn't compete is because their roster just wasn't as good. Same thing I told you the other day previewing this game. But is he going to get out there and be a hungry, like 10 out of 10, like big-time recruiter? I don't want to say names here because it's going to spoil some of the other candidates, but that's going to be the thing that holds him back, I think, from getting this job. But, I mean, guys went in big at Ole Miss. Like, you put him at A&M, look out. He'll certainly be considered. Next up. Dan Lanning. Now, big question with him. Can Phil Knight pony up and keep him at Oregon? That's a fascinating battle if it comes down to A&M deciding they want Oregon. You got, on one hand, all the Texas oil money. On the other hand, you got Nike. And if you're Dan Lanning and you find yourself in the middle of that bidding war, life is going to be good for you and your family and your children and your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren if you get into the middle of that bidding war. Now, if I'm Dan Lanning, I'm looking at the state of the game, big picture. If I was him, and I think he might do this, I'm staying at Oregon, leveraging this for a raise if it comes to it from Oregon, but I'm waiting, and I'm taking my shot at Bama when Saban retires. Now, funny, that could also be what Kiffin is planning on doing. But, I don't know, it's going to be fascinating. Two good candidates there. Kalen DeBoer, head coach at Washington. The dude just wins. He's got the Washington Huskies 10-0 right now. You give him those A&M resources, what can happen? Look out. And the thing is, the way he's done it, He's got the flashy quarterback, the flashy wide receivers. They're putting up points. That's how he's winning at Washington. I, that'd be one that right off the bat wouldn't be overly sexy and win the headline. But the more people dig into it afterwards, they realize, okay, this dude's a real deal. Now, I struggled just to pin deciding which category to put this next one in. Is he a big fish or is he a wild card? Because the truth is he's both. Urban Meyer. He might be retired for good. His wife, Shelly, might make sure he's retired for good after some of those stunts he pulled in Jacksonville. But he's only going to go somewhere that can win him another ring if he goes anywhere at all. 
This job fits that description. We've already talked about it. They've got everything you need there. Now, question is, which if you're A&M, you hope you would be able to get to the bottom two in the interview process. Does he still have that fire in him? That's what made him great at Florida and Ohio State. Because that's what you're paying for if you hire Urban Meyer. That middle fingers to the world. You know, I'm going to outwork everybody. I'm going to get dogs in here who are going to be, you know, the baddest team on the block. If he doesn't have that fire still in him, then he's not worth hiring because that's what made him great. And if you hire him, you're going to take a PR hit for a little bit. I mean, Urban Meyer, nobody doubts how great of a college football coach he is. Not the best guy out there. So it's definitely not worth it to go through all that if he doesn't still have that same mindset, that same energy and focus that he had at Florida and Ohio State. We'll see. Next category, under the radar. And really, another name for this could have been guys who max out the programs that they're at. First one, we did our SEC head coaching rankings earlier this season. You guys know how I feel about this guy. Mark Stoops would kill it in College Station. Mark Stoops has maxed out Kentucky. He's the best coach they've had since a guy named Bear Bryant. The guy just takes his roster every year. And like I said, he gets the most out of them. They're winning seven, eight, nine games every year there, which should not be happening at Kentucky. All Kentucky is looking for is a football program just kind of good enough to somewhat keep the fan base's attention until basketball starts. He goes above and beyond that every year. You give him a place that's dedicated to winning at football and winning big, he will win big. Jed Fish, he's at Arizona. He's been a miracle worker at Arizona. Arizona's season win total this year was four games. He's seven and three right now. Guy takes what he has, maximizes it. So you get him a roster between his own recruiting and all the NIL stuff and just resources you have at A&M, give him a top five roster, let him max it out. What do you have? Lance Leipold. I've been on him all year saying whichever big power five job opens, Lance Leipold should be the first call. And it really hit me the other night. Kansas lost. And... People were, like, stunned by it. It's not long ago. This team wasn't winning a conference game for, like, three straight years. Lance Leipold comes over, gets him to a bowl game in year two last year, loses the stud quarterback this year, and they're 7-3. and three. After all those national titles he won in Division three at Mount Union, the guy just wins wherever he is. He maxes out the program wherever he is. Put him at College Station. I don't think they're going to go after him. He's a little bit old, kind of boring. Because a and is not a place who's looking to go 10-2. and two. They're looking to compete for and win national titles. But man, he would be on my short list if I was calling the shots there. 
Chris Kleiman, head coach at Kansas State, winning the Big 12 at Kansas State, which is what he did last year. Everyone remembers like TCU went to the playoff and everything. Kansas State won the Big 12 last year. That's insane. That'd be like Mississippi State winning the SEC. Boston College winning the ACC. Like Kansas State is a program that has no business competing with schools in Texas and Oklahoma. He takes what he has. He maxes it out. I sound like a broken record. Give him A&M resources. What could he do? Next category. Got a couple here. Group of five head coaches. So head coaches and not the Power Five conferences, but the division below. Jeff Trailer. He's done a good job at UTSA. Now, here's the thing. He's done a good job there. What's his advantage? What makes him qualified for this job? He is well-known and liked by all the Texas high school football coaches and everybody in that Texas high school recruiting circuit. Put him at A&M, that could be dangerous. They'll have dangerous rosters. And then if he just makes the right hires for his coordinators, look out. It's going to be one when they announce it. All the casual fans out there are going to be, oh, A&M had to settle for who? Trailer? What? No. The guy's a legitimate candidate, and I think he'd kill it there. Jamie Chadwell put Coastal Carolina on the map. Takes over for Hugh Freeze at Liberty this year. They're 10-0. and 0. He's the anti-Jimbo. The guy just has a great offense. Give him that kind of talent, he'd win a lot of ball games. Next category, Power 5 Offensive or Defensive Coordinators. Who's the next rising star? Young Buck. Glenn Schumann, Defensive Coordinator at Georgia. Everybody's going to want the next Dan Lanning. Well, who better to predict as the next Dan Lanning than the guy who took over his job when he left for, from being Georgia defensive coordinator? Tommy Reese, quarterback at Notre Dame, longtime offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, now offensive coordinator at Alabama. Now, back in September, you would have laughed at me for this one. Alabama's looking pretty dang good right now. Their quarterback's looking pretty dang good, and we know he has a limited skill set. I think it would be a mistake. I think he's still a little too young for a job of that magnitude. But I could also see a world in which the decision makers at A&M think he's this you know young, hotshot offensive coordinator. He could be like the college football version of Sean McVay. We need to go ahead and get him. I could see it happening. Garrett Riley won the Broyles Award last season for the nation's top assistant coach. Now, he's Clemson's offensive coordinator right now. This is his first year. Before that, he spent the last three years coaching 
in recruiting, you guessed it, the state of Texas. He was SMU's offensive coordinator and TCU's offensive coordinator. Made TCU's quarterback, who everyone had written off before the season last year, turn him into a Heisman candidate, Heisman finalist. Got that team to the national championship game. Will Clemson's struggles this season scare them away from that? I don't know, man. I think those Texas schools, they really value people with Texas ties. And Clemson's offense is looking much better the last couple weeks as well. Wild card. It ain't happening. But Dan Campbell's a Texas A&M alum, apparently. That's, of course, the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Again, it's not happening, but <clears throat> I want it to happen, if nothing else, <clears throat> just for SEC media days. Have him up there following Saban and Kirby, and Dan Campbell gets up there talking about biting kneecaps. I'm here for it. I'm a content creator now. I need that kind of thing. So, those are the candidates we put together. Judging by my picks all season, there'll probably someone off the board who ends up getting that job, but... As we talk through it, <clears throat> I really like three of the guys who I named, who I could see being sort of the final three there and would do good jobs. Mark Stoops, Kentucky coach, who could just be fed up with Kentucky and that fan base right now. Like, I'm getting y'all to a bowl every year and then some, and y'all are mad at me because, yeah, I can't beat Georgia. Like, I'm beating Florida on the regular now, and y'all aren't happy with it at Kentucky football. Peace. Jeff Trailer. I really think that's the sensible hire, and he would do great there. You don't have to get a big name. Jimbo was a big name. Look what happened. <clears throat> and Garrett Riley. If Clemson doesn't fumble the ball like 20 times at the goal line this year, I think he's right at the top of everybody's list. So, we'll see. We'll see. Going to be interesting to see when they make an announcement. But if they're hiring me as the search firm, those are the, you know, 12 guys I give them. And if they ask me to be more specific, those are the three guys I give them. Next one. Mississippi State fires Zach Arnett Monday morning. I told you guys back in like week two, this dude wasn't going to make it. I mean, tragic, tragic circumstances with Coach Leach passing away last December. They promote defensive coordinator Zach Arnett. Zach Arnett inherits a team that's got like 20 seniors in the starting 22 this year. Like this was going to be a cycle up here for Mississippi State. Where they can go from like five and seven, six and six to maybe get like an eight and four, nine and three if they're run correctly. Zach Arnett says, Yeah, this Mike Leach air raid we've been running that the whole roster set up for, we're not doing that. We're going to play man ball. And I mean, get out of here, dude. See ya. Your meathead defensive coordinator, dummy. All right, with that being said, Mississippi State is a place 
you have to win with scheme. I would even go as far as to say you probably can't hire a defensive head coach. I think you've got to go offense there. So my number one candidate is Steve Spurrier. I'm kidding. Relax. It's a joke. But seriously, my first call is Dan Mullen. He has like four of the best finishes in your school's history from the time he was there. Now, in fairness, he had Dak Prescott as his quarterback, probably had a lot to do with it. He ended up burning out at Florida because he didn't like to recruit. Now, this job I'm talking about here, Mississippi State, sort of the anti-A&M. You can get a bunch of three stars and coach them up with scheme and do your thing there. Because at Mississippi State, your goal, like a good season, especially in this new SEC probably starting next year, if you can just get to a bowl game, good. You can do that by winning your non-conference cupcake games and then just getting a few lower-level SEC teams. I think Dan Bolin is the first call. Don't know that he'd go back there. It'd be sort of embarrassing, a lateral move from where he ended up. But you got to ask, right? I mean, guy's the best coach in your history, and he's still in coaching age and looking to coach again probably. Someone on the last list, Jamie Chadwell. I'm looking long and hard at Jamie Chadwell if I'm Mississippi State. Dude's a great play designer and play caller. I think he'd have him bowling every year. He's just won everywhere he's been with his offensive scheme. Willie Fritz, former Georgia Southern head coach, current Tulane head coach. He's basically Jamie Chadwell, just an older version of him. Again, guys, Willie Fritz and Tulane beat Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams in a bowl game last year. More impressive part of that is, you know, they basically won the national championship of the group of five last year. They were the highest rated team, so they got to go to that New Year's Six Bowl game. It was the Cotton Bowl against USC, and they beat him. Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams. Willie Fritz is another one of those guys. He's going to max out wherever he is. Put him in Mississippi State. He'll get you to bowl games. Lots of them. You're going to think this one's a joke, but it's not. Deion Sanders. Remember, before we went to Colorado, Jackson State, what state is that in? Mississippi. He's got the lay of the land there. Just something to think about. Give him that SEC money. I don't know. Rhett Lashley, former offensive coordinator at Auburn and Miami, current head coach at SMU, great season at SMU. Another offensive guy, just, you know, assemble the best recruiting classes you can and then just go coach him up. Now, here's a wild card for Mississippi State. You got to win with scheme, right? You can't just go 
And this is sort of to an extent a man ball offense, I guess, but it's something different. We give the defenses something different to prepare for every week. Paul Johnson. Start running the triple in Starkville. Now, it's not going to happen, but I'd at least reach out. I feel like every conference should have a team running the triple. Just one of those teams that's never going to have the talent of the other teams, but, you know, throw something different at them. And running that triple, if the defense is a team, if they ain't willing to be there that day, it's tough to stop. Because that makes a defense man up to stop that. If they're just, you know, they're not feeling it, they're looking ahead to next week's game, they just want to go home, season sort of hasn't lived up to expectations, you can jump up and get a better team running the triple. Boise State fired Andy Avalos. I got one name for them. I don't think he'd go. But you got to make Chris Peterson say no. I don't think he'd do it, but, you know, put the presentation together for him. Come home, Chris. Sort of a Dan Mullen at Mississippi State situation. He's the best coach you've ever had. I don't know. And if it's not him, then who knows where they'll go. But So, coaching carousel. Very much alive and well for the 2023 season. We still got Michigan State to fill too. Forgot about that. In Northwestern, if they don't promote their interim. So, going to be a crazy one. We'll see. Let me know in the comments if you think I'm stupid for some of those candidates or I left someone out. Let me know what you think. (coughs) All right, week 11 recap. We found out on Friday, Jim Harbaugh is suspended for the rest of the regular season games. He can still coach during the week, still be in the facility, but he cannot be on the sideline during these last three games. They got the hearing set for Friday to appeal that. I really hope that appeal is successful. He has to be on the sideline for the Ohio State game. We as a people, as a college football community, cannot be robbed of the post-game handshake between Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day here in 2023. It can't happen. We must see that handshake. Now, as far as the game on Saturday, Michigan had their biggest test of the season so far in Happy Valley against Penn State. Michigan bullied them. They didn't throw an official pass in the second half. Didn't have to. It's not even like they were necessarily running it down their throats, but they just knew we just get one or two first downs every possession, punt it back to them. This Penn State offense is not going to do anything on our defense. I say they didn't throw an official pass because they did have a pass interference in there. But Now, about Penn State. They fired their offensive coordinator, Yurkic. So that's a new opening. But the offense for Penn State was abysmal in their two biggest games of the season. 
against Ohio State and Michigan. Some of the takes coming out from people I respect, like good college football reporters, in addition to just all the fans out there who shoot their mouth off. Some of the takes coming out about James Franklin are absolutely absurd. What should the expectation be for Penn State? Let me know in the comments. What do you think expectation should be for Penn State? Because right now, their crime is that they can't beat Michigan and Ohio State. Do you put Penn State on a level plane with Michigan and Ohio State as a program? I don't. So why are we overreacting to the fact that they can't beat those teams? Right now, Penn State is head and shoulders above everybody in the Big Ten, not named Michigan and Ohio State, which is where they should be. He's meeting expectations there. Like, who would you realistically bring in and say, well, Nick Saban or Kirby Smart would do it. Who would you realistically bring to Penn State who you know would do a better job than James Franklin? Dude won like nine games a year at Vanderbilt. And if Harbaugh ends up leaving because of all this stuff, in two years, they're probably better than Michigan again. Go ahead and fire James Franklin. Go ahead. Find out if the grass is greener. Nebraska says, mess around and find out about that. Ridiculous. I mean, here's the thing, guys. Since he's been at Penn State, he's 4-16 and versus Michigan and Ohio State. He's 3-17 versus top 10. He's 1-12 versus top 5. I get it. Those aren't good numbers. But what do you expect him to be at Penn State? He's not at Notre Dame. He's not at USC. He's not at Alabama, LSU, Georgia. He's at Penn State. Last two seasons, 0-4 against Michigan and Ohio State. Losing by about 13 to 14 points a game on average. Okay. Yeah. If I'm a Penn State fan, I wish that was a little better. Against everybody else they have played. The last two seasons. 19-0. Winning by an average score of 40-12. to 12. Leveling up from Mark Rick to Kirby Smart is not the norm. That is by far the exception. Again, ask Nebraska. Go ahead. Find out. Georgia destroyed Ole Miss 52-17. to Like I told you guys in the last episode going into the game, just a much better roster. Kiffin said as much after the game. Georgia's rounding into form at the right time. They remind me a lot. Do you guys remember Clemson in the 2019 season? They were coming off their second national title in three years. Just sort of slept walk through the first half of that schedule. 
survived all the games, had a big scare against North Carolina, played a Jimbo Texas A&M team, beat them, but it wasn't like great. Everyone's asking, what's wrong with Clemson? What's wrong with Clemson? Well, during that season, they found their way. And by the end of that season, they were stone cold killers. That's the trajectory Georgia's on right now. Now, as a Georgia fan, I just hope there's not a team like 2019 LSU out there somewhere that'll keep them from winning the title. But I don't know, man. They're peaking at the right time. And you know what's interesting? You wonder if it's by design. Think about it. Two years ago, Georgia opened a huge top five matchup with Clemson. They had to be on their A game week one, and they were. Last year, big time game week one against Oregon. Had to be on top of the game, try 49 to three. They were. This year, Kirby would never say it publicly. But you didn't have to be on top of your game until after the bye week. And your toughest game there was Kentucky before the bye week. Georgia had the luxury of just sort of slowly but surely just ramping it up. And now they're there. They also got healthy, which helps. On offense, at least, defense is getting more and more banged up every game. Now, I say all this to tell you, very tricky one this week in Knoxville. Very tricky. Georgia handles Missouri last week. Missouri boat races Tennessee this week. Uh, yeah, Tennessee, they, they're not what they were last year. and They're not, but that's not going to be a problem for Georgia, who's playing great right now. I've had a pretty good beat on this Georgia team the last few weeks since the bye week. I told you they were going to cover against Florida. They did. I told you they would not cover against Missouri. They didn't. I told you they were going to cover against Ole Miss. They did. My plan going into it was going to say they won't cover against Tennessee. I also thought it was going to be bigger than a nine-point spread against Tennessee. So that's worrisome. Vegas sees that Missouri-Tennessee game, every that Georgia Ole Miss game going on right afterward. Says Everyone's going to be on Georgia. Let's hang that number low. Let's make everyone be on Georgia. It's worrisome that it's that low of a number. We'll see, though. Last takeaway from the weekend, Jaden Daniels is winning the Heisman. LSU quarterback. All the casuals out there will tell you, no, he can't. They've lost three games. It just goes to the best player on the best team. No, it doesn't. It goes to the best player on the best team if that happens to be the best player in the country. Tebow won it with three losses. RG3 won it with three losses. Lamar Jackson won it with four losses. Like, there is recent precedent for this. He's by far the best player in the country this season. And nobody on one of the playoff contenders is really taking it this year. I'm very confident that it's going to end up being Jaden Daniels for the Heisman as long as he stays healthy these last two games. If I was a betting man, I'd go take some of that action. Still think it's around like anywhere from seven and a half to nine to one, depending on where you look. I think it's stealing at this point. Who else is going to be 
Jordan Travis kind of tailed off. Marvin Harrison Jr., I just, they're not going to give it to a receiver twice in four years. Yeah. J.J. McCarthy, I just told you, their biggest spotlight game of the year so far. Didn't throw a pass in the second half. Carson Beck had the opportunity after the bye week, but doggone it, Georgia's sort of just running the ball too well for him to be putting up stupid numbers like that. I don't know. I just think at the end of the day, Jaden Daniels is going to be the one left standing. And he has been the most outstanding player in college football this season, which is the definition of the award. So, All right, to the plays this last week. We'll go one at a time here. <coughs> so I told you earlier in the week, I had a teaser on some Tuesday night matching that hit 1-0. Woohoo! Kentucky, Alabama under 47, that's a loss. Georgia Tech plus 14 and a half at Clemson, that's a loss. Penn State plus four and a half first Michigan, that's a loss. Virginia Tech, Boston College under 49 and a half, that was a loss almost at halftime. Oof. NC State, Wake Forest under 42 and a half, that's a win. Oklahoma State. Oof. I told you guys how bullish I was on them. I think it was 45 to 3 they lost to UCF. Oof. I mean, talk about just not showing up. That team just did not show up. Also had the over 65 and a half. Tough to hit an over on one of the teams only scores three points. So that's two losses. Tennessee minus one and a half versus Missouri. They only didn't cover by over 30 points. Vibes are bad, guys. Vibes are bad. That point, including the Tuesday teaser, we're two and seven on the week. Now, two and seven on the week. What are you going to do? You going to give up? Going to give up? I ain't no quitter. You got to man up and finish strong. Syracuse plus three, that's a win. Kansas State minus 20 and a half, that's a win. Georgia minus 11, that's a win. Duke, North Carolina over 50 and a half, that's a win. Late night, USC, Oregon under 75 and a half, that's a win. That's how you fight back. That's how you salvage a week. That's how you salvage a season. Because at the end of that whole day, when all the dust settled, we were 7-7 and on the week. Which brings us to 90, 92-6 on the season. If you would have told me going into week one, we'd be 90, 92-6 on the season right now, I'd have been upset. I've never had a season this bad. But we talked last episode about how much bad luck we've had. About how it just hasn't been our year. And if you would have told me about 6.15 when I got to Nephew Mill's house in Lincolnton on Saturday and we're sitting at 2-7 and seven, that we were going to go 5-0 and oh the rest of the day, I'd have been pumped. And I'm pumped right now. 
going to bed Saturday night felt similar to the feeling I had about a month ago. That week we went 14 and five. Because if it was a typical seven and seven week, no. But to be two and seven and win the last five, that's a vibe changer. Let me tell you, that's what we needed. I feel really good about the rest of the season. As bad as it's been, guys, for the whole season, we're only two games under. Like, we can do this thing. We still got two full weeks left, plus conference championship week, plus bowls. Like, there's so much opportunity left. It feels like we're down 20 right now. We're only down two. Like, stay the course. We Those last five games on Saturday, that started our strong run to finish the season. And would you look at the time? We've been doing this for 41 minutes already tonight. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.